I'd like for you to turn to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. What I want to do this morning is to talk about the mandate and the manifestation of the Spirit's infilling. And I'll read verses 18 through 21 of chapter 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, if you're like I am, when somebody says to you, I'd like to ask you a personal question, I get on the defensive. I'm, I just know right, you know, right away something um, is coming that I'm not too uh, sure that I'm going to be ready for. You know, there's some things you just don't ask people. I just love it when somebody comes up and says, how much do you weigh? <laughs> They've never asked me that when I was skinny. Or, you know, you just don't ask people, you know, uh, ask a lady her age. and How much did you give for that new car you've got, you know? Or how much do you make at your work? When you, when you start to ask somebody a very personal question, you just automatically get on the defensive. I'd like to ask you a personal question. I hope you don't get too much on the defensive. A question that, that really demands to be asked and demands to be answered. Are you living the Spirit-filled life? Are you at this moment being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you can't answer that in the affirmative, it's because of two reasons. One is that you don't have the slightest idea what that means, and that's what most of us, where most of us are. Or secondly, you're living in rebellion against God. The command to be filled with the Holy Spirit is in the imperative mood in the Greek, and it is a command that has no other option except to be filled with the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, there's a double negative in this text. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it suggests that it is just as much a sin not to be filled with the Spirit as it is to be drunk with wine. So that, wouldn't you agree that if a person is not living the Spirit-filled life, then he is at that moment in rebellion against God and living in sin? Now, this great doctrine so misunderstood, I want to come at it from the mandate and the manifestation. First of all, the command, the mandate, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is, that, you know, how, what, how does that happen? In other words, what is involved in being filled with the Holy Spirit? I suggest four things. First of all, it begins with a constant craving for the Holy Spirit. MacNeil begins his marvelous little book, The Spirit-Filled Life, with this statement that we can all relate to. 
On every hand, the lack of something is being felt among the people of God. Their Christianity is not what they expected it to be. Instead of victory, there is defeat. Instead of soul satisfaction, there is soul hunger. Instead of abiding heart rest, there is disquiet and discontent. Instead of advancing, many are losing ground. Is this all there is to what Jesus meant when He said, Follow me? Is the life of constant defeat and spiritual poverty the norm of a Christian life? End quote. Isn't there more to it than just this? The Christian life is an event that, that leads to a process. It's an experience that leads to a relationship. It's a step that leads to a walk. It's an act that leads to an appropriation. Most of us stop with the event, with the experience, with the step, with the act. And we never get beyond that. And our lives are filled with spiritual bankruptcy and defeat. And there's always this deep, gnawing suspicion. There's got to be more to Christianity than this. There's got to be more to what Jesus meant when He said, I give you abundant life than this. There's got to be more than this. Bob Oldenburg was on the staff of the church I pastored in Fort Worth in the 60s. And he was going through the same experience that I'm talking about. He just came to the place where he just felt like this, this was not what it was about. When he wrote that song that is now famous, Life had only begun when I gave him my heart. T'was the dawn of a day, but it was only a start. God's law was satisfied by His Son crucified. I was saved. I was reborn in my heart. Yet there's more, so much more than that first sweet day. More, so much more every passing day. And the life I now live, God lives in me in every deed and every word each day. It begins with a constant craving of the Spirit. A kind of a, a, kind of a desperate dissatisfaction with what you have. It's what Jesus meant when He said, If any man thirst, you ever been thirsty? I went into a, a hospital room not long ago and a man was scheduled for surgery in the, in the morning and there were backups and he couldn't get in and, and he hadn't had a drink of water for you know, all night and half the day and he was craving water. Now don't get any idea, kids, so you can get up and run out there to the water fountain. You know. <laughs> you know, have you ever been so thirsty that all you could think about was a drink? I mean, your mother could pinch you to keep you still, but all you could think about was that cold, refreshing, crisp water that was out in that water fountain just outside the door, just to the preacher's right. You just couldn't think of anything else but that. That's what I'm talking about here. It's when you crave to the Holy Spirit and nothing else satisfies. Constant craving of the Spirit. Secondly, there is a complete commitment to the Spirit. This command, be filled with the Spirit, is in the passive voice, and that means that, in other words, let me fill you, is His cry. 
For he controls, and that what, that's what the word means basically. To be filled means to be, to be controlled. He controls only that which is yielded to him. And he demands and commands the commit, complete commitment of our life to him. It means the surrendering up of every key to every lock to your business life, to your social life, to your family life, to your recreational life, to your thought life. For God wants to, to occupy every crack and cranny of that temple that He's cleansed. And He will not just be satisfied with some place in your life, not even a place of prominence. He commands a place of preeminence. I commit my life totally to Him in the act of the controlling of the Holy Spirit. Nothing less than that will do. He'll not settle for anything less. Somebody was, a group of people were trying to consult and, and find out who they could invite for an evangelistic meeting and Dwight L. Moody's name came up. And somebody stood up and said, well, everybody wants to have Dwight L. Moody for a revival. Let me ask you, does Dwight L. Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And somebody answered right back, no, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Dwight L. Moody. That's what I'm talking about. Now be very careful because you may not want to surrender the control of your life up to someone who will never let you be happy telling a lie again. And you may not really want to submit the control of your life to someone who will never allow you to, have, to be jealous or envious of anybody else again and be happy with it. And will not tolerate impurity. And will not allow you to steal from God by not tithing. You may not want to commit your life to somebody like that. That's the term. In other words, it's really, it could be described as really just allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. Now, I want to read a personal testimony right out of a book. Listen to this. I was saved at nine, but not until 29 years later did I come to see the meaning of the Lordship of Christ in my life. I listened to a preacher talk about the inner life and God took his words and ignited them in my heart. He said, the carnal Christian is one who is a professing Christian, but has self, left self on the throne of his life. The spiritual Christian has crucified self, and Christ is on the throne. Simple words they were, yet profound when the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit as teacher. I looked at the drawing labeled carnal Christian and said, that's me. Two things took place in my life that night by my bed. On my knees, first, I ceased to resist and prayed this prayer. Lord Jesus, I want you to be the center of my whole being. I want you to be the center of my whole being. Holy Spirit, I know that you indwell me because at the age of nine, you baptized me into the family of God, but I want you to control my life entirely. Second, I got up from my knees believing in faith that it had been done. Four immediate hungers and desires became evident to me. Like most Christians, I read my Bible when it was convenient, but now the Holy Spirit has generated within me an unquenchable thirst for the Word of God. My prayer life took a drastic change for the better. Being a sinner, a singer, sinner, being a singer, 
I thought personal soul winning was for other folks, but how wrong I was and what a glorious discovery. And fourth, I now have a new love for my church and its program and the part that I play. Life has not been the same since. For 29 years I had the first part of John 10.10, I have come that they might have life, but now I'm experiencing the abundant part. You know who wrote that? Take a guess. Joanne Shelton wrote that. A lady who grew up within walking distance, just blocks of this church. I could read testimonies like that over and over and over again, but that's enough to say this, that the infilling of the Holy Spirit comes when a person makes a complete commitment of his life to the Spirit of God. Third, there is a continuing, continual controlling of the Holy Spirit. Now it's in the act, it's an active tense, present tense. And it's best translated, be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it refers to a habit of life, and it means that every day I acknowledge the Lordship of Christ over my, my life. Every day. I make a new surrender of my life to the control of the Holy Spirit. Now he said, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Have you ever wondered why he didn't say, be not an adulterer, but be filled with the Spirit? Or don't steal from somebody, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be a thief, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, he's talking here by way of contrast. Now watch this. And there is, in, in a sense that being filled with the Holy Spirit is in a sense like being drunk with wine. For when you're drunk, when you're intoxicated, I can't say this by experience, <clears throat> but you know, some of you know what I'm talking about. When you're drunk with wine, I mean you're, out, you're under the control of an outside force. That outside force, uh, can, you know, it's in control of your eyes and your tongue and your talk and your walk. I was out jogging early yesterday morning and I passed this house and there were some guys out in the yard. They were drinking. I don't know whether they'd been up all night or not, but they were already drunk. And they were laughing and they were talking loudly. And as I ran by, they started hollering at me. You know, I didn't pause, you know, to bother them or anything like that. But, uh, as I went by, they yelled and, and hollered and laughed and called obscenities at me. Now, they probably wouldn't have done that if they weren't drunk. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church, upon the believer at Pentecost, his life after that was forever changed. No more timidity, no more fear, no more prejudice. As a matter of fact, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they spilled out into the streets and there was laughter and there was joy and there was boldness. And they started talking about the miracle of the resurrection. And these Sadducees who denied the resurrection had to come up with some kind of a reason for their action, and so they said, well, we know what's wrong with those guys. They're drunk. And Peter got up, and he gave his defense, and this is what he said. You look it up in the third chapter of the book of Acts. He said, men and brethren, we're not drunk as you suppose. Now, he didn't deny that they were drunk. 
He just denied that they were drunk like these thought they were. In other words, Simon Peter was saying, we're not drunk with the wine that's poured out of wineskins. We're drunk with the wine, the new wine that's poured out of heaven like Joel talked about in his prophecy. And they were different. And they had a new song and they had a new sermon and they had a new boldness because now they were under the control of an outside power called the Holy Spirit. And you know how you get drunk? You drink. You know how you stay drunk? You keep on drinking. Come to the water, Jesus said, and stand by my side. I know you're thirsty and you won't be denied. You come to him, he said. Come to me and drink and keep on drinking. It's a continually being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Third, fourth, it is a conscious claiming of the Holy Spirit. Now, contrary to what some teach, I think, I, I'm convinced of this, that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not getting more of Jesus, not getting more of the Spirit. It's not that at all. Because when you invite Jesus into your life, you get all of Him you're going to get. Now, I, I, just, I don't do often do this, but I got this little tissue here. Now, I'm not going to swallow this, but if I swallow this tissue, don't try it, kids. If I swallow this tissue, and it, I, I took a big gulp and down it went, it would be, all of it would be in me. All of it would be in me. But it would not be in all of me. It wouldn't be in my eyes. It'd be, you know, it'd be confined down here to my stomach. But if something happened, if some way that tissue could all of a sudden just expand and start popping out everywhere, pop out my eyes, my ears, my head, my feet, my hands, then all of it would be in all of me. Now when you receive the Holy Spirit, you get all of the Holy Spirit you'll get. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, now watch this, is possessing the possession. It's allowing all of Him to be in all of you. And it comes by a conscious claiming of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. I, want to, I believe it's a key of entering into victory. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have all of the patience of God indwelling you. And you have all of the love of God indwelling you. And you have all of the righteousness of God indwelling you. All of it. When you have Him, you have all that God has, for He is every fullness of God bodily. And somehow it has to work this way, that because He, all of Him, is in me, I need to find some way to get Him in all of me. And that's the claiming of the possession by faith. You see, Paul didn't say be filled to all the fullness by God. He said be filled to all the fullness of God. He didn't say be filled by the Spirit. He said be filled with the Spirit. And why he wants us to be filled with the Spirit is this, is because the Christian life, listen to me, the Christian life will not work until you're Spirit-filled. It's kind of like abundant health. Abundant health is when everything works. Now, I'm over 50, and some of the stuff's not working that well anymore. You know, I, 
I saw somebody the other day and they were kind of limping and I, I said, what's the matter here? And they said, well, my get along has gotten along, it's gone, you know, because some things just don't work at will. In order for there to be abundant health, everything has to work exactly the way it was meant to be. A way to have abundant life is when everything works and it doesn't work. The only thing that works is that which has been committed to him. Are you with me to this point? That's the mandate. Now, in the five minutes that remains, man, this, you know, the runway's a lot longer than I thought. Taking off's gonna be a little harder. In the five minutes that remain, I want us to look at the manifestation of the Spirit-filled life. Now look, the text says, with regard, with regard to God, there'll be a spirit of adoration singing and making melody with your heart. Did you see it? With your heart to the Lord. Now the only solos that are bad solos in this church and the only anthems that are bad anthems in this church as far as I'm concerned are the ones that are sung to the wrong audience. He says that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then your whole life becomes an act of worship to the Lord. So that whatever you do, it's done to the Lord. Now that means two things. It means that, first of all, that you, that you really begin to live your life out in the, in the front of and before the significant audience. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 6? He said, beware of practicing your righteousness, your religion, before the Pharisees to be seen of men. You know what Jesus was saying? He said, you better be sure that you have the right audience when you practice your faith. Now he says that when the Holy Spirit begins to take control, you get a brand new audience, and that audience is God himself. Samuel Miller makes an interesting observation when he says that in the 17th and 18th centuries, Christians lived in constant fear they were going to displease God. And so Jonathan Edwards could get up and preach a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and people hold on to the back of the pew that was so real to them. But he said, now modern man hardly ever considers the ultimate. For his hopes, listen, for his hopes and concerns are based, are focused, are centered on the opinions of his peer group. What will they think? How will they feel if I do this? And he says, no longer do we live out our life before God and to God, but for the most part, we live out our life to another group of human beings whose opinions we crave and whose approval we desire. There's nothing any more frustrating than that than to be caught in this trap of feeling like that I have to live my life to you, see. And not only does he say that we get a new audience, but he says that, we, that, that there is a new song that comes to that life when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit and he makes melody with his heart. Now, please follow me carefully. There's nothing any more exhausting than trying to, to go through the farm and the motions and putting this old body through the rigors of trying to live for God. 
but there's not anything any more wonderful than when your heart begins to sing and you begin to serve Him as an act of worship, not as a ritual or a form, but when you begin to serve Him out of the heart. A few years ago, a lady by the name of Melanie Safka wrote a song, Look what they've done to my song, Ma. Look what they've done to my song. It was the only thing I could do all right, and it's turned out all wrong. Look what they've done to my song. What happened to your song? What happened to that person who, who lived his life out and went through the day as a homemaker as a, in, the, in the business world, in the marketplace, just serving God out of a heart of joy to please Him, not in cringing fear, but because of His great love? With regard to God, there's a spirit of adoration. With regard to circumstances, there is a spirit of appreciation. He said, always giving thanks. And we thank Him for the rain, sun, and we thank Him for the rain. And we thank Him for the joy, and we thank Him for the pain. We thank Him for the gains, and we thank Him for the losses. We thank Him for the blessings, and we thank Him for the crosses. And that doesn't mean that you feel right about everything that happens to you. It means that when the Spirit controls, you're able to give thanks because you recognize that God is in sovereign control of everything that's happened. And because of what you know about Him, you know that nothing, he, nothing ever happens to you that He does not permit, and He never permits anything that's not best. And whatever He permits, He will work together for good. One last thing. With regard to others, there's a spirit of accommodation. And He said, submitting to yourselves in the fear of God. There'll never be a church split where a church is living spirit-filled life. And there'll never be a marriage problem where both people live the spirit-filled life. And there'll never be social, racial problems wherever Christians, wherever people are living the spirit-filled life. You can't do it. For there is a spirit of accommodation. It means that I submit to you. You know what submission is? Submission is an equal placing himself under another so that Jesus will be glorified. This story, and I'm through. John Jowett, the great English preacher, was preaching a revival, a tent revival in his beloved England. And after the service was over, he, he was standing at the, at the entrance of the tent, and a young girl came by, and he recognized her as a Christian who had submitted, surrender her life to serve God. And so he spoke to her. He'd noticed that she hadn't been involved in, in her church. And she said, oh, she said, I've fallen in love. And my, my, my fiancé is not a Christian. She said, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe that stuff like I used to. And I'm not, I'm not going to follow through like I promised. He said, honey, come here a minute. I need to visit with you, please. And they went back over into the middle center of the tent and he sat down with her on, the, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a chair there. And he, he turned to the 10th chapter of the book of Acts to the story of Peter seeing that vision. It was a nightmare to him. But 
And God said to Peter, Take and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. And John Jowett turned to the young girl and he took his pencil out and he wrote on a piece of paper the words, Not so, Lord. And he said to that young girl, he said, Darling, if Jesus is Lord, there'll be no not-sos in your life. And then he took his pencil and he scratched out the words, not so, and said, and when there are no not-sos, Jesus is Lord. What Paul is saying is this, is that a person experiences the rich abundance of the Spirit's control when every not-so is yielded to Him. John in prayer. Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit now will take control of this moment of invitation and that every heart will be yielded to You. And that every life, both the saved life and the Christian life, the lost life, will come to the bowed knee and the submitted heart to say to the Spirit of the living God, I commit my life entirely to You. For I ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Now would you please look here. There are three invitations. There is an invitation this morning for you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ publicly. Some of you came during Bible school to an understanding of what it meant to be lost and you invited Jesus into your heart in a kind of a private moment there in Bible school. Now it's time for you to come and make that decision a public one. But Jesus said, as soon as you confess me to men, I'll confess you to the Father. Second invitation this morning is for Christian people who are just not happy with the way it is now. And you just know there's got to be much more than this. And you want to come to say, as best I can, I want to yield my life completely to God. Or you may need to come this morning to join the church. You'll just come and say, Pastor, I want to be in this church. Mark is going to lead our choir in singing. We'll sing a couple of stanzas. We want you to come while we stand to sing.